Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hope everybody's doing well today. I want to welcome everybody to the Unimpressed Podcast today. And today we have a very special guest who's been a Bitcoin enthusiast since 2012, Mr. Ben Armstrong, a.k.a. BitBoy Crypto. Welcome to the show, Ben. How are you doing today? Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, doing really well today. You know, anytime we get to uh, get together with anybody talk crypto, we think it's a good day. Nice. I like to interview people from the foundation, you know, and I just want to get to know you and what you're about and where you're from. And uh, We're from Atlanta, Georgia. Atlanta, Georgia. So, believe it or not, I was in... Um, North Caldwell, New Jersey for the past 12 and a half years and then moved to Charleston. So we're not far away, about four hours away. Are you in Atlanta now? I am in Atlanta now. We're, we're a little bit north. We're in Cobb County. So we're where the Braves play. We're about 45 minutes north. Oh, okay. Yeah, we've done, um, I've built a couple comedians and we've done the Cobb Center. Oh, really? There okay. By the, yeah. by the stadium and so forth. Mm-hmm. We spent a little time in Atlanta and so forth. So are you a Southern boy, Georgia boy, born oh, and yeah. raised in Georgia? Born- Born and raised in Georgia. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're as Southern as you get. You know, we, uh, we deer hunt. We have a big truck. You know, we do the whole thing. So <laughs> what was the name of the town in Georgia you were born in? Uh, I was technically born in, um, in Rome, Georgia, but I, I spent, grew up in, uh, Canton, Georgia and, uh, you know, Ackworth, Kennesaw, Marietta and Cobb County. Well, me being from the South myself, what's a Southern boy getting involved in crypto for? <laughs> uh, totally by accident uh, is uh, probably the best way to say it. So um, it was actually my love of sports that kind of in a weird way led me to crypto. So um, I've always been a huge Falcons fan, a huge you know Braves and Hawks fan. We, we represent everything here in the city. You know, basically I had some tickets for a Packers-Falcons playoff game that turned into a total disaster. We were the number one seed. They came in. They crushed us the year they won the Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, but I bought some tickets to resell and I was going to resell those tickets and the money that I was going to make from that, I was going to be able to buy my own nosebleed tickets for. And uh, what I realized is like all these tickets have the same or all these websites have the same tickets. So I realized there must be some kind of like network you can get into to get access to the tickets. And so I started selling uh, sports and concert tickets through, uh, uh, through that. Uh, it was called Ticket Network. They had a white label program and I did really well. In my second year, I made 350 grand. I was working at a car wash, you know, making 25,000 a year before I did that. So, you know, things were going really well and they were exploding. And, um, I was using a, a software to post my ads on Craigslist. I was posting like 800,000 ads a day on Craigslist across the country and across Canada. The software that I was using, they got uh, sued. The guy got sued. He's a guy from Ukraine and he couldn't answer the lawsuit. And so ICANN came in and took his website and took his payment processors. And he had to figure out a way to take money. And so one day after six months of not paying our monthly fees, you know, he messaged us like, you need to catch up your fees. I found this thing called Bitcoin. Uh, this is how you need to make your payments. And so I was using crypto as what it was meant to be originally, which was a currency. Now we know it more as digital gold. And uh, I wasn't saving it. You know, the, my first Bitcoin purchase was, I think it was like December December 11th, 2012. Bitcoin was around 12 bucks, a shade under $12. I bought 37 Bitcoin for like 450 bucks. I think that would have been worth like 3 million at the peak, somewhere around there. But I was spending them. I was bringing it in and immediately spending it on that fee. Uh, and so then a year later, when the price of Bitcoin shot up in the 2013 bull run, 
I had like six Bitcoin left in that account and it was worth $1,700, not a piece total. And I was like, cash, you know, bing bong, you know, I was like, wow, this is a lot of money just to make overnight. Uh, my business wasn't doing nearly as well then as it was the year before. And so I took the family, you know, we, we, I met a guy at a McDonald's at, on localbitcoins.com and, uh, I gave him those six Bitcoin. He gave me 1700 bucks and, uh, took my family on a little vacation to Destin for the weekend and, um, you know, paid a couple bills and that was it. Well, fast forward, I paid attention to Bitcoin a little bit. Mt. Gox crashed in 2014. I thought it was over. I didn't even really know the difference between Bitcoin and Mt. Gox, to be honest with you. It's all kind of the same thing to me back then. Uh, there weren't a lot of educational resources. And, uh, you know, so 2015, 2016, I paid a little bit of attention. I'd buy a Bitcoin here, buy, you know, sell one there, nothing major. And then 2017, I realized I should be a, a millionaire, if not a billionaire, and my mistake. And so that's when I really decided to go all in on crypto, you know, really decided to dedicate my life to it. I love the ideals of it. I love the decentralization. I love the philosophy. It's much more than just, you know, you know, Bitcoin price go up, people make money. Uh, there's a lot more to it than that. You know, outside looking in, there's a lot of unanswered questions, right? And and sometimes I don't know. There's a couple of narratives that I never hear about. Where do you think crypto is a threat to the monetary system? Yeah, well, I mean, crypto is a threat to the banking system. That's that's really what it is. Um, because if you really look at the, the from a government perspective, it's really hard to untie the links between banks and the government, to be honest with you. But from a government perspective, you know, over time, we've never had a, a, a government in the history of mankind that, that takes less control over time. They always want more control. But if you really look at the state of our government, what it should be, which is for the people, by the people, crypto slides right into that. You know, Bitcoin and, uh, you know, financial privacy and financial sovereignty it slides right into what America's all about. However, our government has been taken over by, uh, you know, people that don't necessarily believe that. It's all about money and power. But it's really the banking system where the threat is. Because with crypto, you're able to be your own bank, uh, which a lot of people know the FTX debacle, the Celsius debacle, um, all of these collapses we've had this year. Well, these are all from people that were not taking that, that part of the philosophy of crypto into consideration. And they were letting these third parties have their money the same way we do with banks and bank accounts. But really, crypto is about being your own bank. So you should have your own storage solutions. If you have a hot wallet like Trust Wallet or the Coinbase wallet, not the Coinbase app, but the Coinbase wallet specifically, um, or you have a Ledger hardware device or a Trezor hardware device, you own your own money. Those collapses could not have affected you. That would have meant nothing to you other than maybe the price of your crypto going down because the, the overall market was going down. So really, we're cutting out the need for the banks. We're cutting out our, uh, you know, cutting out our need for, you know, custody from someone else. Well, that's a huge threat because that's how the banks make their money is taking our money and loaning it out. All, all a bank is is leverage. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. A bank takes your money. They leverage it to make loans and earn interest on those loans off of your money, but they get all the, the interest. That's how that's the entire banking model. So when you cut that out, when you cut out uh, credit card processing fees, for instance, that's another big aspect of this. Um, you know, we're just basically trying to take out third parties and that's all mm-hmm. banks and credit cards are, or third parties. So that's really where the threat is, to be honest with you. So taking out third parties, I mean, I get that. With what I do in this process, I developed us being a meta, we're a meta partner or one of 30 companies in the world. It's a meta partner. And I create a concept called finding a perfect audience and it eliminates, it eliminates fractional information or fractional work, you know, has been set up by industry and whatever industry you're in. So I I can understand that Reuters is owned by the Rockefellers. Right. Rockefellers helped set up the cash system with them controlling, you know, in Reuters, a lot of people don't know this Reuters, they own pretty control pretty much every media outlet in the world. So 
the way you just stated that about what you know the threat do you think with this big propaganda push right now do you think that is is there truth to that is that all hype what's going on with the propaganda against crypto right now well you know to be honest with you i don't feel like there's a lot of propaganda against crypto right now i, okay. I think there is there is a really strong propaganda push um inside the world of crypto uh, which is trying to defend FTX, trying to defend St. Bankman-Fried, uh, trying to paint Binance as the evil Chinese company that ruined everything when none of that is the truth. That's really where the propaganda is coming. You you look at the politicians, you look at Sherrod Brown, and you look at Elizabeth Warren, and these are two people that are really pushing anti and Brad Sherman as well. They're really pushing anti-crypto regulation. However, that has not changed. Those people have been doing that for five years now. Like Those people have been ardent anti-crypto people for years. I speak with people in Washington. I spoke with a gigantic politician over the weekend, and they've actually told me that crypto regulation is the only area where we're going to get anything done over the next two years because it's the only area where Republicans and Democrats can actually find some middle ground on because it's not a partisan issue. So, yes, of course, you, you have people you know screaming from the hills right now because the crypto prices are down. But I wouldn't say it's propaganda. I would say it's really just a reaction to the crypto prices being so dramatically down. But we've seen this year after year. The, uh, Bitcoin works in four-year cycles. For one and a half years, the price goes parabolic. For one year, which we're at the very end of right now, the price drops like a rock. And then for a year and a half, we call it the accumulation phase, where things slowly start moving up. We're going to – we're, in my opinion, in the accumulation stage right now in the very beginning of it. Um, there could be some macroeconomic black swan that occurs this week or next week, and you know, crypto could fall again. Um, but from the inside of the industry, I don't think we're going to see another gigantic fall, um, you know, because of something that happens in crypto. You know, you always have to keep your eye on the macroeconomic situation because, you know, stocks are, I was looking at it this morning on the channel, you know, stocks are only about half. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Uh, if, if we were to see a similar crash to 2008, like a lot of people think we'll see, we're only halfway there for stocks. And we, we haven't really seen what Bitcoin is going to do during a time where stocks are falling dramatically. They haven't fallen dramatically since Bitcoin has been around. Um, so I just I don't think there's a lot of propaganda. I think it's easy to look at crypto now and say, oh, you know, crypto is bad because the prices are down. But people I talk to in Washington, that's not really the sense that I get from them. Mo most of the politicians in Washington understand that blockchain is coming. It's it, it's here we got to do smart regulation. We've actually got a bill in Congress um, that will be live later this month that offers a way to create smart crypto regulation. I just think, like I said, at the end of the day, it's easy to point fingers because we had a lot of collapses. 
But this is nothing that we haven't seen before. We've seen this before in 2014 and 2018. So this is just a continuation of the same cycle. If in two years from now, we're still in this place where people where crypto is down and people are, you know, whatever, then we, we might have a different situation. But so far, these four-year cycles have been very, very consistent and very true. And we're just at that point in the cycle. Who's the underlying support? Who's the major underlying support of crypto? Who? Who is the underlying support? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I, I would say it's the community. I mean, the crypto community is the underlying support. We, we are the people who have been around for years and years. Generally, going along with the cycle, we have an attention cycle. The attention follows the rate of the price. So when the price is high, the attention is very high. When the price is low, the attention is very low. What happens is every four years, people tend to come in. The vast majority of people that get into crypto get in at the wrong time. So they get in when Bitcoin's above $50,000. But now that it's down at $15,000, they don't want anything to do with it. And it's kind of funny the way that that works over and over again. But every time we get those people that come in, those people lose all their money and they leave. But we get some people that end up staying. And the baseline of the crypto community has gotten stronger and stronger and stronger. Um, look, back in 2008 and 17, there was not a single YouTuber that had over 200,000 uh, subscribers on YouTube. Now you fast forward to where we're at now in uh, you know 2022. And there's four or five of us, I believe, that have over a million, uh, a million subscribers. We've got, you know, counting our TikTok that's still in purgatory. You know, we've got somewhere between six and eight million total followers across all social media, across all of our brands that we support here at BitBoy Crypto. Um, and, and our kind of like the brands that are in our orbit, it's much higher than that. The attention in crypto, even though the bear market has had very low prices, it's been much higher during this bear market than it was in the last bear market. And we've had a lot more excitement um, in this uh, in this one as well. But it's got to be the community. I mean, you have some politicians. Uh, you have Mick Mulvaney, for instance, is somebody who started the Blockchain Caucus 10 years ago, uh, who has been, you know, a, a, an ardent crypto supporter. Uh, Christopher Giancarlo, who's with the CFTC, he's another one that's been an ardent uh, Bitcoin supporter. So, so you've got some people out there in the mainstream uh, that are. But in reality, it's just a community that really keeps this thing afloat because we're the only people left during the bear markets. Well, you've been a small town guy. I'm a small town guy. One stoplight. Grew up in ba grew up in Boston, North Carolina. How does how does how does the small town guy integrate uh, in their life? Where where do they start? Well, I, I think there is a fundamental misunderstanding a lot of times in what mainstream adoption looks like and what crypto adoption looks like. Th this doesn't mean that everywhere I go, I'm spending my crypto. Actually, I don't like spending crypto. I do have a crypto.com card where I do spend some, but the reality is right now it's about buying and holding and and buying at the right times and selling for profits and going back in when the prices are low. Uh, because I, I really believe one day we will have Bitcoin as a reserve currency. It will back currencies the same way the gold backed the dollar, the way the gold backed currencies, uh, you know, since the inception of, uh, you know, paper currency, not fiat currency. Fiat is unbacked. Uh, but paper currency, we always had gold backing it. I think Bitcoin is going to do the same. It's going to be like 30 to 50 years, in my opinion, before we really get there. This is a long, long, long war. There's a lot of battles in the middle. Accepting crypto does not mean that I'm spending crypto as a currency everywhere I go. It means I'm taking part in the ecosystems. It means that there are decentralized applications that are built, um, you know, on Ethereum and other and Cardano, NFT platforms, uh, decentralized finance protocols, um, you know, lending platforms uh, that you can stake on chain and, and make money, um, not a third party where you where you're handing over your keys to people. It's a lot about preaching the principles of crypto, the self-custody that we talked about, the financial sovereignty, the privacy in your transactions. It's really taking hold of those philosophies and really molding those for the future and, and letting people know they exist. 
right now, crypto is not ready for full adoption. It's just not ready yet. The, the decentralized internet, the dream that we have a decentralized internet based on Ethereum or Cardano or any other of what we call layer one platforms, it's a long ways away. And I think, you know, just like anything you become an expert in, the longer you're in that space, the further, the more you know that you don't know, the more you come to realize that you don't know. And if you would have asked me in 2017, when I thought crypto adoption would take place, I'd say, oh, five years, we're there for sure. You know, no question about it. Well, now I think it's more like 15, 20, 25 years. I think it's a long ways out. Um, so it, it's not about integrating crypto into your everyday life, even though everything I do every day obviously revolves around crypto because of what I do here at the channel. It, it's more about understanding the bigger battle that we're in against people that want to give us a great reset. The World Economic Forum, uh, you know, battling the elites, as I say, that some of those families, like you mentioned. Well, I want to interject right there. You know, if you said it was a propaganda thing, you know, it's kind of like the push for uh, marijuana to go legal. It's like I knew a lot of these second tier players who pushed this needle up to the finish line. And when they got there, everybody's like the big boys came in and said, all right, guys, hold up. Mm -hmm. I need my position. So if it's not propaganda and you look at the power houses that set up the monetary system, that we've lived on for many years in America, and now we have a, a threat directly to their system. Is that, is that what's happening now? It's like, hey, guys, all right, we're at the finish line, but let's slow it down. You know, they just scared the shit out of a bunch of people. But what's happening now? Let's slow it down. We need a position. Is that what's going on? Well, that's already happened. Like that, okay. that was that was really the narrative in 2018. Okay. Uh, so so that really came ushered in in December of 2017 when you had the peak of Bitcoin, but you also had the release of the CME futures uh, contracts, which or it was either CBOE or CME. I can't remember which ones came first. I think it was CME, which they actually do, suspended. They don't even do anymore. But that was really the introduction of the institutions into crypto when Bitcoin was around $20,000, which ironically it's lower than right now. But you had a lot of the institutions. That was the big players in 2018 and 2019. So here's an interesting stat for you. Out of the top 100 Bitcoin addresses, 50% of them were created 2019 and on. So what does that tell you? Like who's got billions of dollars to create one of the top 100 Bitcoin addresses? It's only the banks and the institutions. So that's already been going on. Uh, it's very interesting to see right now, we did break a precedent for Bitcoin, which it had never gone in a bear market. It had never gone below the previous all-time high of the last cycle. So the last cycle was $20,000, 19800 whatever it was in 2017, and we broke below that. So we've never seen that. Some people think that could be the effect of allowing the institutions uh, in crypto. Really going forward, what I think we're going to see, and I've talked to a lot of people, a lot of people will agree with this, is for this next cycle, we're going to look more at kind of war games. We're going to look at uh, nation states trying to buy into crypto, trying to buy into Bitcoin, buy into Ethereum, for power. And I think that's really, you know, that could be some, why we could see, be seeing some of the stuff we're seeing. Uh, you know, obviously the World Economic Forum, a lot of people that know what that is, know it's really bad news, know what they want to do in terms of Great Reset. They're not secret about it. They're open about what they're trying to do, which is quite interesting. Um, they still just keep marching on, on onto their beat there. But I think watching the countries, watching nations and how they accumulate Bitcoin, very interesting here in the United States. Um, actually, I used to live in a town called Gainesville, Georgia. I lived there for 10 years after I got married. It's when I got into Bitcoin, I was living there. Uh, it came out, there's a guy, uh, James Zong, I believe is his name. Uh, he was, he had $3.7 billion worth of Bitcoin, I believe it was, uh, that was confiscated by the U.S. government this year. He had created a mechanism on Silk Road back in 2011 and 2012 
to where he could deposit money and he could withdraw up to three times that amount of money. He would just do it in like a second. Then he got around some kind of system that they had. He had 51,000 Bitcoin um, in on it, like in his possession at his house. And um, it's just really interesting uh, that now where did that money go? Where did all that billions of dollars go? Well, the United States government has that. You look at the Bifinex hack, the Bifinex hack that occurred back in 2014. Well, they just found the money launderers this year. It was a big story uh, much earlier this year is kind of this girl who's crazy. She made these music videos and stuff. They also had, I believe, like $3 billion worth of Bitcoin somewhere thereabouts. Now you look, the government has that now. You know, the United mm-hmm. States government is now beefing up their Bitcoin holdings and, uh, you know, we know China has a ton of Bitcoin holdings. We know they manage mining. There was a big story about the, you know, China Bitcoin mining ban. That was false. That was not real. What that was is that was China hiding their tracks by allowing their miners. Guys, a Bitcoin miner can't just go to the Chinese government and say, hey, let me go to another country. They had to be given permission. So the, the government was sending out orders for these people to go to Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan and some of these other countries to hide the amount of hash rate, but all that money's still flowing back into China. So you really see the United States, you really see Russia, you really see China shaping up as, uh, you know, three countries that are really trying to add to their Bitcoin, uh, you know, balances. And the United States has done a great job this year of confiscating a lot of Bitcoin to do that. So I think that's really the narrative that we're going to see in the next bull run is going to be, you know, countries getting involved in Bitcoin. The institutions are already. Now, how about the guy in England, the guy that took over for the lady? Uh, oh, have right. you heard his narrative of what he wants to do with Bitcoin? He wants to take it to the banks. Yeah, he wants to do, he wants to create a CBDC. Um, and CBDC is central bank digital currencies. These are coming. There's nothing you can do to stop them. I actually had a conversation a little bit earlier on an interview about CBDCs. And and for me personally, I think the digital dollar is coming. We already have it as USDC that will eventually become the digital dollar. There's tons of tons of things to support that. Also in Europe, we believe that'll be the digital euro will be uh, the USDC version of the euro. So USE or whatever it'll be. I'm not sure. ESEU probably. But the, the fact is, is that what we're going to see, we need to see regulation around these CBDCs to prevent things like social credit scores. Um, from being related to how you can spend your money. It's a much better action for us to attack the legislation around CBDCs because they're bad news. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, imagine if you get canceled on social media, now the government can cancel your ability to spend money. And I mean, if you really what, what if you look at what happened with Alex Jones here, I'm certainly not excusing what Alex Jones did with, uh, you know, the Sandy Hook stuff. Obviously, I, I believe Sandy Hook happened and Totally disagree with him on that stuff. However, if you look at what happened with that lawsuit where uh, I think it's $1.2 billion and they've said they're trying to sue him up to $3 billion, they're trying to cancel him by creating a world where he can't spend any money ever again. And I think that's really what to watch for with these CBDCs is it'll be a much easier way for the government to control whether you can spend money or not. I mean, you think they would let Donald Trump spend money? right now or over the last few years if the government internally could control whether he could spend money or not absolutely not i mean so they would use the january january 6 hearings to you know basically cancel his ability to spend money and that's really what's dangerous for us as a country is looking at how these cbdc's can affect our uh you know our permission to spend our own money or not. How does that relate to Bitcoin? I mean, is there is that linear or what does right. that look like? Oh, well, sir, well, okay. So when it comes to CBDCs and how they relate to Bitcoin, I want everybody to understand they don't relate to it in terms of, like ultimately a CBDC is great for crypto. It's bad for humanity. It's mm-hmm. bad for our government, but it's great for crypto for two reasons. Uh, number one, it's a walking billboard for financial sovereignty. It's, 
hey, if you can't spend this money, well, guess what? Nobody can touch your Bitcoin. You can spend your Bitcoin. Uh, so it's a way for people to understand finally, like, hey, if I self-custody crypto, then even if the government cancels my ability to spend dollars, I at least have some currency and some medium of exchange that I can use. The second thing is it's going to make the learning curve for people using crypto much, much easier. So I'm sure you'll get a wallet and you'll be able to you know, send that money the same way that you would send uh, you know, crypto or, or, or Ethereum or Bitcoin. And so I think it's going to get people much more used to a, a crypto wallet, um, how to use it, how to spend it, how, how to to um, you know, receive it. And these are all things that are big learning curves for people in crypto. So I think ultimately, like I said, the only way that we can salvage this is to be able to create regulation around the CBDC. So when it does get launched, it's got rules and parameters that keep us protected. And I know that's not what the government wants, but there's some good people in the government that do want to you know, create common sense legislation so that we're not you know, we're not basically financial slaves. I have a MetaMask account, has some mm-hmm. Ethereum, bought some NFTs. I think it's very interesting where you can buy a collectible tied to, you know, Ethereum or, or Bitcoin, however you pay for it. Collectible being backed by Ethereum, right? If the Ethereum goes up, then the collectible goes up, right? Is that like a kind of a times two value? Is the collectible really worth anything? Are you are you really just betting on the growth of Ethereum or Bitcoin? Yeah, well, it's been very fascinating to watch the NFT market. Now, I love Ethereum. I actually like Ethereum more than Bitcoin, to be honest with you. So I think uh, after we had the, the merge this year for uh, ETH, where it's moved to ETH 2.0, I actually think the tokenomics are better for Ethereum in terms of uh, the fact that there's going to be a less percentage of Ethereum created over the next 20 years than there will be percentage of Bitcoin created over the next 20 years. And that's been the big thing that Bitcoin, other than the size of the network and the security, that's been the big thing that Bitcoin has had over Ethereum. Ethereum, I believe, will be the baseline for uh, the base level for the new decentralized Internet when that occurs. Um, and I think it'll be good. We're still years away from that happening and being effective. But when it comes to NFTs, it's very interesting because, you know, we have we have a saying in crypto, right? It's, it's one Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin. Like, it doesn't matter how much price goes up, doesn't matter how much the price goes down, one Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin. Well, if you take that principle and you apply it to Ethereum and you say, okay, well, your NFT went way up in value because the Ethereum went way up in value, but did it go up in the Ethereum value, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, if you look at CryptoPunks or uh, Bored Apes, for instance, mm-hmm. if you look at Bored Apes, I think the floor went up to as high as 200 Ethereum, right? When it hit 200 Ethereum or whatever the height was, it was really only equal dollar-wise to like what it was when the floor was 100 Ethereum because the price has been cut in half. So you really just got to make a decision when you're buying these collectibles. Do you care about the dollar value more or do you care about the Ethereum value more and which one is going to be more beneficial over time? We tend to look at everything in terms of the Ethereum value, not dollar value, because we're very confident Ethereum will be over $10,000 one day minimum. You know, it, it could be as high as a hundred thousand dollars in you know ten ten to fifteen years. I think that's possible. It's it's probably unlikely, but it's possible. I think a twenty to thirty thousand dollar Ethereum is very likely um, over the next you know four to eight years. But in general, you, that's the way you got to look at it. Is you know you you can't you can't have your cake and eat it too. You know you can't look at the Ethereum value going up and the dollar value going up, and uh, you know having both of them like they're going to move in tandem. They're going to move together. You got to kind of decide which one of those values you care more about. I hope that makes sense. Well, the reason I asked that, you know, because Beeple sold his art for $69 million. Mm-hmm. Like, was that a, did that guy have any emotional buying experience? Because how, you know, where's his value there? You know, if well, he's that buying- was Justin Sun. Justin Sun bought that. <laughs> What's Justin, that? Justin Sun was the buyer. So Justin oh, Sun. Okay. Yeah, Justin Sun is a is a big crypto guy. He's the founder of Tron. Um, mm-hmm. I've met him. I've interviewed him. 
he's uh, been around in the space for a long time, at least 2017. Um, a little bit before that, he was working on an app in China and some different things. But ultimately, Justin Sun is a guy known to make a splash. All he cares about is being in the news. So he mm-hmm. bought that Beeple Art to make sure he was in the news story, to make sure he was connected to it forever. So it's hard to know what the actual value would have been if it had been just a normal art collector buying it as opposed to somebody that was trying to make a big splash in crypto. Interesting. So He's a billionaire. Is it, is it better to buy the NFT or how, how do you buy Ethereum right now? Why would you buy it? Would you buy, load up on NFTs? Would you how, go another route? Oh, no, I certainly wouldn't, certainly wouldn't um, load up on uh, NFTs at this point. I, I okay. think you know we don't know where the bottom is for these. I believe there's a good chance we're near a bottom for Ethereum. I mean, Ethereum did bottom at $900. I don't know if we go lower than that. It depends. You know, I'm hearing now today, I'm hearing like maybe there's some black swan event coming in the, in the macroeconomics uh, based on some, uh, some charts and stuff. So we'll, we'll have to see what happens there. But I, look, we sold our CryptoPunk this year. Um, we had a CryptoPunk. It's one of the most valuable NFTs. We sold that and it turned out to be a great decision. The price, floor price continued to drop for that. I, I think if you're looking for NFTs, you should really be looking at them because you want to collect them. You should not be looking at them You should because you want to collect them or because you want to flip them. You should not be looking at NFTs as long-term holds to make you money over time, in my opinion. I, I just don't think the market is mature enough to really support that. I think if you're looking for that, just buying Ethereum is your better better case. I mean, you buy Ethereum everywhere. You know, Coinbase is, uh, you know, an app in the United States is very popular where you can buy it very easily. I, I think Ethereum is a, a great pick. I, I would never buy an NFT over buying Ethereum if you had the choice, especially if you're just starting out. How do you, how do you buy Ethereum now? Um, that's a great question. Um, we generally buy Ethereum. We get paid in crypto for some of the stuff that we do. Um, but overall, if we're going to buy Ethereum, um, you know, we usually use Gemini. That's the exchange we currently use. Gemini. And I'm just kind of breaking this down for sure. just for who might be listening. How would you go about that? You just go on Gemini, create an account. How would that, how yeah. would that work? Well, we, we have a, we have an institutional account on Gemini. So it's probably not a great example. The, the best way is just Coinbase. I mean, there's no quite a question about it. Coinbase is the best crypto app that was ever created. Um, it, it is, the fees are very high. You, you pay for the great user interface experience. Um, you, you're paying for the convenience of Coinbase, kind of like we talked about earlier with the banks. Uh, once you get a little more into understanding crypto, uh, you know, you can, you can use decentralized exchanges that usually will have cheaper fees. But Coinbase, if you're just looking to get started, uh, it's got a lot of great features where you can dollar cost average, you know, like for instance, you can set it up to where, uh, you know, you take, like, I, I buy $100 worth of Ethereum every single day. I buy $50 worth of Cardano every single day. It's just something I do. I actually do it through the crypto.com app. Um, but Coinbase is another site where you can set that up, do it very easily, slowly accumulate over time. And that number, those numbers really add up, um, you know, o- over a, a couple year period. I have met a MetaMask. How's that? Is that a good one? Is that okay? MetaMask is good. MetaMask is what I would consider probably a, a, a level two crypto person. Okay. Your person just getting in, they're going to want to learn how to use Coinbase, and that's pretty much it. Next step, you learn how to send your Ethereum to uh, your MetaMask, which is a big learning curve. There's a big learning curve between somebody buying it and owning it on an exchange and then learning how to send it off or create your own wallet or create a hardware wallet uh, address. So um, I, I would say MetaMask is for your people that are a little more advanced. Um, certainly people, I'm sure, have lost money trying to create one and, and send value there before. So um, I, I would say MetaMask is great for what it is. MetaMask, you can do internal swaps. It's more got kind of a decentralized exchange built in. Um, I'm not sure. Can you use a credit card and buy crypto on MetaMask? I'm not sure. I th- there's something something very similar. I've yeah. kind of been letting it sit for the past couple months just yeah. kind of until this dust settles. Right. They say the other thing about 
this type of currency, right? It, it eliminates a lot of fraud. Right? Yeah. People have got away with a lot of things, mm-hmm. you know, and how, how, from your perspective, how does this eliminate more fraud? Well, it's very funny because obviously this is a big talking point you get from a lot of the politicians, which is, you know, uh, crypto is for criminals, you know, well, Chainalysis, a company that breaks down the blockchain, is a less than 0.1% of all Bitcoin transactions are nefarious, right? So less than one out of a thousand are for something bad, the other 999 are fine. So I think that's something to consider. Um, but when you look at the fact Bitcoin is traceable now, so when Bitcoin started out, it wasn't traceable. Over time, through what we know as chain analysis, they've been able to com- like basically create these webs to where if you know this person's address, you can backtrack it. And then if you can figure out one other person's address there, like a brain teaser, you can unlock the whole thing. And, and so that's what uh, you know these companies do. So the fact you, you can't hide anything. You can't hide anything in blockchain. Um, there are things called mixers. There's Bitcoin mixers, Tornado Cash, and Ethereum mixer. These mixers basically can break down transactions into much, much smaller amounts. And basically what they can do is they can hide your tracks. But now with a lot of these exchanges, they know what these addresses are. They come from these mixers. Uh, the United States government has already said it's money laundering. If you use a mixer, it's money laundering, period, point blank, point blank, period. Exchanges, they blacklist these address or blocklist them as it's now now called. So if you use these mixers, there's a good chance you're never going to be able to get your money out um, mm-hmm. because the exchanges aren't going to allow you to move crypto from those addresses onto their exchanges. Everything on blockchain is open, is transparent. Is transparent. Uh, if you know somebody's address, you can figure out every single thing that they've done in the world of crypto. Um, I, I was looking the other day, there's a site that has, uh, you know, blockchain analytics and they focus on influencers and exchanges and like, you can type my name in and you can see all my addresses and you can see, you know, everything that we've done in the world of crypto uh, for the last several years is something you can't really hide. And, uh, you know, so that's how it gets rid of fraud is that, uh, you know, eventually you're going to get caught for sure. Cause all the evidence is there on the blockchain. It's not like traditional markets where you can, uh, you know, hide and, uh, and clean and, and money launder. And here's, here's another one that. I don't hear a lot about that, I, you know, with me studying human behavior every day and on social media, because social media is just sensitivities, right? Right. So, and you got Web3 around the corner. Are we turning into the movie, you know, because a lot of people don't realize that like Meta, Facebook has these storage facilities, you know, around the world, right? And there, and there's actually one in Rutherford County, uh, Far City, where I'm from, born and raised a small town there, and it's like a military base. So if you take that idea that they need something that size for storage, now you got Web3, now you got the advancement of, of crypto and all this stuff that's going to need some type of storage that nobody's discussing. It's a, I, I know it's going to be a longer build-out than we expect. What do you think about the storage and, and how are they going to pull this off? Because they have to have the storage for the whole system to run the way it should run. Yeah, I mean, I, this is why I go back to the point I made earlier, which is, you know, we're, we're way away from adoption. It's not coming anytime soon. Um, I'll give you an example of exactly what you're talking about. First, there are storage coins that help with this. So they, they suck bandwidth from unused sources and use it to be able to, you know, kind of create supercomputers to allow people to to do more stuff with their bandwidth. You got storage, S-T-O-R-J. Um, you have uh, Filecoin. Uh, you have Arweave or Arweave. You have all these projects that are focusing on some of this stuff. But I'll tell you a story about us. Uh, we've been building land in the sandbox, which is a uh, decentralized metaverse. Um, it's it's one of the most popular ones. I think it will be the most popular one over time. And we've been building in there for two and a half years, maybe longer, maybe it's almost three years. We've been building in there now, to be honest with you. Uh, it's we we hired some professional Minecraft builders. It's it's pixelated, and they've done a phenomenal job. 
Well, I, I went to the guy who was in charge of this and I said, hey, I want to go into the land. Can I go into the land and kind of see what we're building? And he said, no. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I can see your screen record, but you don't have a computer big enough with enough bandwidth that will allow you to come into this world. And I was mm-hmm. like, whoa, you know, mm-hmm. like even even in this pixelated sandbox world, there's not enough bandwidth for me to be able to go in to the builder. Basically, I have to have a supercomputer. So I, I do think we're a ways away off from that. And, and the more these, met, this is why Metaverse is, is definitely probably 10 years away. Well, you see that Meta's propaganda slowed way down. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if that was their strategy or if that was their plan. I had an idea about the way you could create tone uh, for the Metaverse for each character, right? Where that person could have a personality. Yeah. Based on the, the, the real person. Uh, you ever heard anything like that discussed? Mm, this is no. kind of off topic a little bit. <laughs> but what would you think about, like, if you could take your tone and your personality and duplicate that? You know, because everything now is looks. You know, that's another level. What, what do you, you know, what do you think, think about that? Creating a real society. Does that? Does that work? I think it does. I mean, if you really want to get very Black Mirror-ish, you know, I mean, I, I think that's where all this ends up at. You know, I think think we end up digitally uploaded. Uh, I think we end up in a world kind of like the Matrix one day, you know, hopefully not as dark. But I mean, that's where we're going with digital technology. And and when you look at, um, uh, you know, there's an episode called San Junipero of Black Mirror. And in this episode, you realize by the end, spoiler alert, by the way, if you haven't seen it, but you realize by the end that all these people are just characters inside of a digital world that doesn't even really exist. It's on a server somewhere. They found a way to upload people's consciousness onto these uh, onto these servers. And there's already longevity clinics that are saying they can do that, uh, mm-hmm. that, that will do that in the future. So it is very interesting. Um, this is kind of where it all starts. Everything starts kind of innocent, but you know, this, this stuff can definitely go to a, a very dark place very quick. And for you, coming from a small town and so forth, what is your, I mean, you, you seem very well versed. I don't think I've spoken to anyone that can just rattle off and be tuned in to these answers. Um, wh- I mean, what's your passion? What's your field? Do you have any derogatory thoughts in your head? Like, you know, when you think about humanity or what is, you know, where's that drive? How do you balance that? Because sometimes that'll mess with you a little bit. Uh, well, you know, I just try not to focus on the end result on where we're ultimately where we could be going. Mm-hmm. I just try to focus on where we're at right now and how we can ca- kind of fight against some of these power infrastructures that will want to send us down those dark roads. Uh, look, when it comes to wh- when it comes to the world, we have the WF that wants this great reset. It's very dark. It's very dangerous. And, and I don't know if we can stop it, to be honest with you. But I do know the only chance that we have to stop it is through crypto and blockchain. That's the only chance we got. That's why I'm a one-issue voter now. If, if people are against crypto, I'm against you. I'm not going to vote for you if you're against crypto. Uh, because in reality, decentralizing the world is the only option that we have if we don't want to be, um, you know, can't completely taken over. And so I just try to focus on that. I mean, I, I am, you know, I, I come from a, you know, a Christian background. I used to be a youth pastor. And, uh, you know, in the Bible, it talks a lot about one world currency and it talks about, uh, you know, kind of uh, dark times. And it feels like this is where all that's going. And it kind of feels weird, like a little conflicting to kind of be playing a role in that. But I'm just trying to take all the stuff from blockchain and use it for good and not use it for bad and and also be conscious. But like as long as we're conscious that these are all options, then maybe we can prevent it from happening. When mm-hmm. when people aren't conscious of where things could go, that's how things go down very slippery slopes very quickly. And I, I know there's a lot of people that want to fight against kind of this new age world. We don't want to be living in a world like Wally, you know, from from that movie where we're all 400 mm-hmm. pounds and, um, you know, nobody can move because we're stuck in our recliner, you know, in virtual reality all the time. Nobody wants mm-hmm. that. Um, so, you know, it, it's just about a, a balance between, um, you know, a, a balance between what's good and, uh, you know, 
what's best. I guess that's the mm-hmm. best way way to put it. There's the a very thin line between those two things, but fighting for what's best for humanity, I think, is a very important uh, endeavor. Well, the first thing is, like, you know, how do you educate people the right way, right? And if you and if people do, you're right. If people do realize that this is not going away, and they should get up to speed very quickly, right, and see if they can leverage a position that keeps things may be on a good side, you know, because I think if it's not going away, you know, how do you integrate? You talked about integration would be slow, but how do you integrate and use it to a positive space? I yeah. mean, that's how I try to think of it because you're right. It's not, it's not going anywhere. Well, I, I think that this is, this is where it's the perfect time for me to plug my book, Catching Up to Crypto. Uh, we, have, we have a book coming out in January, publishes January 12th uh, called Catching Up to Crypto. And it's basically taking my 10 years in in the crypto world and kind of giving it to people so you can catch up. Because you're right, the technology is not going anywhere. And really, people got to do their part to try to figure things out. And they all come to YouTube. The stats that I see are about 70% of people, they get their education from YouTube, about 15% from other social media platforms when it comes to crypto. But what we found is our beginner content that we make is way above the head of a true beginner. And so by this book, what we've done is we've tried to fill that gap, that last mile, between someone just learning about crypto that it exists and then truly becoming a beginner. I couldn't make, uh, you know, in 60 videos, I couldn't really communicate the content in this book uh, to my audience. And so really, I think if people are interested in crypto and they really want to kind of get an idea of where all this is heading and where it all came from, uh, these generally check out uh, Catching Up to Crypto on Amazon or, uh, you know, Books a Million or Barnes & Noble. Catching Up to Crypto. What is that if a 70-year-old guy like my father who, like, can't wrap his head around this stuff. Mm-hmm. Will this book teach my 70-year-old father, uh, give him a better view on what crypto is? A- absolutely. I mean, that that's what it's geared for. I mean, certainly intermediate people are – a lot of people will be interested in the history. Like, I've got a lot of history in crypto and a lot of perspective that other people don't have. Um, so that's definitely a part of the book. But really, like, we're breaking down, like, what is money? What is digital currency? Why do we need digital currency? Uh, you know, how did this come about? Who, who created it? When you really start – like these very basic building blocks one on top of the other it leads you into where things are heading to uh you know definitely this book we believe a a 70 year old person could pick this up and read it and understand it and walk away they're caught up to crypto that's the idea when you walk away from this book when you've read this book you are now caught up to where things are at today you understand the basics of everything in crypto and you can go forward and decide whether it is something you want to pursue and you want to become an expert in or you want to uh, learn about NFTs or you want to get further into metaverse or you want to get further into trading. You're going to be equipped to do that after you read this book. Well, I don't think it's coming from any better guy. Like I said, your your knowledge is off the charts. And I mean, just a conversation with you made me feel better, <laughs> you know, just from the Good. history, you know, because they're I'm a big believer in foundation. You know, and you can find the answers to anything in the foundation. And, and you know, there's more foundation there based on this conversation than than what I realized. Yeah, there's, there know? sure is. It's a, it's a deep history in crypto. Uh, and it was really a genius system set up. And, uh, you know, that's why it continues to flourish. Even when the prices are down, on-chain analytics and metrics will still show you, you know, people are still using Bitcoin network. So all things Ben Armstrong, a.k.a. BitBoy Crypto. What is your website? Uh, bitboycrypto.com people can check bitboycrypto.com a very quick 50 minute conversation but i think it's very uh, informative very detailed i think someone could listen to this in five years and it would educate them on some talking points and uh, if you're out there check out ben's book i think uh, if you're trying to learn about crypto i think that's going to be a, a winner uh, ben armstrong for coming on the unimpressed podcast aka bitboy crypto and i'm john edmonds cosma the ceo of bang productions <laughs>
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.